Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. About two years ago, I went to have a procedure done. Okay, now this procedure that I had done involved some tubing and a little camera on the ends of that tubing. Yeah, on, on, oh no, where's this going? Um, and hey, it's one of those procedures that you get done. Usually you just don't talk about it. Just don't talk about it. A lot of people have had them done before, but people just don't talk about this. And there's some things that's almost cool um, to get done in a hospital. Like, I don't know, uh, get, having a big uh, cut stitched up or if you're, if you're on the work site and you get bruised and, or if you have like a compound fracture and your, your bone's coming out of your leg, it's almost cool to tell that story. But this story isn't cool to tell. Um, but I'm going to share it anyway because it's a good illustration. Um, so I went in for this procedure involves a tube, has a little camera. You probably know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a colonoscopy. Okay, so I went in for a colonoscopy. The reason I had to get it done, won't go into details, but I just wanted to let you know everything is okay. Okay, so I went in and I got my colonoscopy done and I had my little gown on and I was in my bed and the nurse came out, got me, wheeled me into this room and in there there was a couple of nurses and there was a doctor. Now, you don't... There are some... When you're in hospital and you get in a type of procedure done like a colonoscopy, the people who are involved in that procedure, they're really nice, they're really loving, but you never really want to run into them outside of that situation, that circumstance, yeah? Because it would be super awkward. Um, So I was in there and the nurse was talking to me as she put the gas mask on me and I started to go under. Um... And she was asking me some different questions, who I was, um, how old I was. And then she also asked me what what I did, like as a job. And I said to her, oh, I am a teacher. And then she said, oh, do you teach primary school or do you teach high school? And I said, oh, I teach secondary school. And then she said, oh, what, what school do you teach at? And I said to her, oh, I teach at Oxley Christian College. And then she kind of looked at me and she smiled. And the last thing she said was, that's where my kids go to school. Anyway, I woke up later that day um, and I kind of remembered it because you're pretty spacey. And I'm like, did that, a- did that happen? Did that actually happen? And anyway, uh, moving forward, about six months later, I was at school and it was parent-teacher interviews. <laughs> and I was prepared. I was ready. Parent-teacher interviews are always really intense. And you've got to be really confident as a teacher in a parent-teacher interview or else you can just get steamrolled by parents. So you've got to be prepared. You've got to be on your toes. You've got to be ready to give good feedback. Um, I know you guys as parents wouldn't be like that. You'd be really loving and kind because you're good Christian people. Um, but sometimes parents can be a little bit scary. Um, so you've got to be confident. You've got to be on your A game. And I was there and I was ready and I was going through the different parents, one after the other, different students. Um, it's really quick. It's all really fast. Then all of a sudden one of my year 11 students came in followed by her father and also her mother. And it just went as, as normal um, in a parent-teacher interview. Things were going really well. Um, a lot of good feedback, a lot of good conversations. And then all of a sudden, the mother asked me a question. And as she asked me the question, I, I received the question, but I was a bit distracted because I was looking at her and I was in the back of my mind, I was thinking, gosh, you look familiar. Where do I know you from? And as she was, look, she was looking at me, and I could tell she was also kind of thinking the same thing because she was kind of looking at me. She asked the question, and then she was kind of giving me a weird look. Then all of a sudden, in a moment, I think we both realized, 
yeah, I'm that guy from the colonoscopy. And then things, and then things just got awkward. I completely lost my confidence. I completely lost my train of thought. I was all over the place. The father and the daughter were like, oh, what the heck is going on here? Um, but I became like a different person. It's like I completely changed. I was really confident. I was really strong in what I was saying and what I was doing. I knew where I was. It was all good. Then all of a sudden, I was just a mess. I was all over the place. I was too-minded. It was, it was terrible. It was a train wreck. And it gave me this realization and this revelation of the importance of confidence in our life. I believe that we are called to be confident people. If we are followers of Jesus and um, we believe that Jesus came down across for our sins and we have this incredible mission um, to go out and share the good news of the gospel with people, um, then we need to be confident if we are going to be able to do that, yeah. don't we? I mean, our theme this year is be bold. It's very, going to be very hard to be bold if we're not confident people. Yeah. Um, and, and it is so important for us to carry a confidence. And I'm, not, I'm not talking a confidence that can be swayed and robbed and taken away from us. I believe there is a confidence available to us, a supernatural type of confidence that it doesn't matter what we go through. It doesn't matter what we experience. We can still be confident, stay the course, move forward. Doesn't matter what test, doesn't matter what trial, there is a confidence available to us to stay confident in all seasons. And that is what I'm going to be talking to you about today. And my prayer and my hope is that you leave here with revelation of the confidence that is available to you. So if you're here this morning and you feel, you don't feel confident where you are, um, maybe you're someone who is gripped by fear, gripped by anxiety often, I hope that after this message, I pray that you have a revelation of the confidence in Christ that is available to you and you leave differently because our God is a God who can change us in a moment. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I'm going to read to you out of Exodus chapter 3 and we are going to start at verse 9 and we're going to pick up um, here and a conversation is happening between God, the creator of the universe, and this guy called Moses. Um, So a lot of you would already know who Moses is, but if you're a little bit shady on it, let me just catch you up. So at this point, Moses is 80 years old. The first 40 years of his life he spent in Egypt. The next 40 years of his life he spent in in exile in the wilderness. Now, the reason he he was raised in Egypt um, was because he was born of an Israelite um, woman. Um, But when he was born... Uh, they were killing off all the Israelite boys because Pharaoh was really scared that the Israelites were growing too much and he wanted to oppress them in case they just got too much out of control. So his mother went and hid him down at the riverbank and that's where Pharaoh's daughter found Moses, fell in love with him and decided that she wanted to have Moses as her own child. So Moses' uh, mother was Pharaoh's daughter and Pharaoh's daughter raised him up and he grew up in wealth. Um, he grew up as a really important person of authority But then stuff went down, things happened at the age of 40 that caused him to flee, that caused him to run away from Egypt. And then he started a whole new life. Um, He he had a family, he had a wife, he had a son, and he was living comfortable. He was living content. Maybe you're here today and you say that you're pretty comfortable, you're living pretty content. But then all of a sudden, God showed up in an incredible way, in a supernatural way, and his whole entire life got turned upside down at the age of 80 years old. Man, isn't 80 years old when we're supposed to just be chilling out, ready to hang out with God in heaven? Right? That's the way we see it, isn't it? Should we see it that way? I don't know. Well, Moses was 80 and all of a sudden he got this incredible call by God. Um, So he's out minding his own business, hanging out with his sheep. 
in the, in the Prince of Egypt movie, one of the sheep runs away. I'm not sure if this actually happened and he goes after it. I'm not sure if that actually happened. Um, but I do know he's out going about his own thing. And then he comes close to the Mount Sinai, um, the mountain of God. And there, there is a bush and the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. If you saw a bush on fire, but the bush is all fine, wouldn't, you, wouldn't that intrigue you? We'd be like, what the heck is going on there? So that's what Moses is thinking. So it catches his attention. Then after his attention has been caught, then he hears the voice that says, Moses, Moses. And he goes over. And then um, we enter into this amazing conversation between the God of the universe and this man called Moses. And we pick it up in verse 9. And this is what God says. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So that's pretty intense. So God, he, uh, God, God's giving Moses a pretty clear um, mission. He wants him to go and to help free the people of Israel out of the oppression um, of the Egyptians. Now, God goes on to give Moses a bunch of other instructions, and God pretty much tells Moses everything that is going to go down. So he paints a really good picture for Moses. Now, after all of that, having a conversation with God in a bush, I, I would have thought, well, from my own perspective, I would almost be ready, yep, okay, I'm ready to go do this thing. Um, but this is how Moses responds. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So Moses is really doubting at the moment. Um, He's lacking confidence. He's not sure that this plan that God has is actually going to work out. So what does God do? Well, God wants to build some trust between him and Moses. He wants to show Moses that, hey, Moses, I'm not just a little flame on a bush here burning. I'm the God of all of the universe. I'm almighty God. So he says to Moses, take your staff and put it on the ground. So Moses gets his staff, he puts it on the ground, and all of a sudden his staff turns into a snake, which is crazy. And God is basically saying, hey, I'm the God of all creation. I can do anything. I can turn something that is not living into a living organism. I can turn a piece of wood into an animal I'm God. I can do anything. I'm in control of all matter. I'm in control of all atoms. I'm in control of all molecules. He is God Almighty. And if that wasn't enough, then he says, hey, Moses, take your hand, put it inside of your cloak. So he puts it inside of his cloak. Then God says, take it out. So Moses takes his hand out of his cloak. And, the, and it says in, in there that his hand turns leprous, um, white like snow. So all diseased. And then God says, now put your hand back into your cloak and pull it out. So he takes his hand, puts it back into his cloak, pulls it out, and then his hand is completely healed. God is saying, I am the God of the sick. I'm the God of the healthy. I can heal people in a moment. I'm God Almighty. So God is really showing off at this point. He's showing Moses, mate, I can do all things. Come on. 
Are you not ready for this, Moses? Come on. But you would, you would think that Moses is ready at this point, okay? Um, God has answered questions. He's put on a display of power. He, he's built some trust with Moses, this person that he's calling out. But this is how Moses responds after all of that. Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But Moses said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. You know, in that little passage of scripture, Moses says, Who am I? They won't believe me. I'm not eloquent. Send someone else. You know when you're asking a lot of questions that you lack confidence, yeah? Have you ever been in a position like that before? You've ever been asked to do something? You've ever been asked to step out? Or maybe God's kind of spoken to you and you feel something on your heart and, and you know that if you step out, you, you, you kind of know that everything's going to be okay, but you just have all of these questions. It's like, oh God, but what if this? Oh God, but what if that? What if this God? The good thing is, Moses had a lot of questions and he goes on to be one of the most famous um, faithful, humble, um, God-loving and honoring people that we ever know and we ever hear about. So if you're someone with questions, I just want to say that you're in good company. But at the same time, I think if we have a lot of questions, it means that we're kind of lacking confidence. And people with a lot of questions are often people who have had bad experiences. And the thing about bad experiences is if we don't, if we don't deal with it, if we don't deal with them, they can deal with us. And all of a sudden we can start to carry this baggage, which is like toxic and it's not good for us. It can eat away at us. It can eat away at our, away at our confidence. And all of a sudden when we're called to do something significant, instead of saying um, yes and amen, we just have a bunch of questions and we shy away and we lack confidence. What are you carrying from yesterday that is robbing you of your confidence today? When I was in kindergarten, I had the hots for this girl. I was four years old. I know, it sounds weird, but it's true. It was my first ever crush, and her name was Amy, believe it or not. I, I'm now, my fiancé is called Amy. She was, she was worship leading before, and oh my goodness, she is amazing. Um, so there was this girl called Amy. I was four years old, and I, I really liked her. I mean, things were so serious that we went on play dates together. You know what I mean? I went to her house, and I distinctly remember sitting down with her and watching Sailor Moon. Does anyone know what Sailor Moon is? Some people know. That show was awesome. I think it's, now that I think about it, it's a bit messed up, that show, but, but at the time, I really, really liked it. So I, I remember watching Sailor Moon with her, and things were getting really, really serious from my point of view as a four-year-old. So um, I wanted to lock it in, you know? When you know you've got something good, you just want to lock it in, because there were some other four-year-old guys in my class, and I was a bit scared that they were going to swoop in and try and steal it from me. But if I lock it in, if I ask her to marry me, marry me and be my wife, then she'll be mine forever. I could already see our future together, our family, our marriage, and all of it. Super weird, but that's just what I was like when I was four. Um, so one day at snack time, I was sitting down with her, um, and I was, oh, who knows what I was doing, but I was trying to work up the confidence just to ask her, do you want to marry me? But before I did that, I wanted to just test the waters. You know how sometimes you test the waters before you take a bit of a leap of faith and you ask a certain question? Or maybe you're here today and you've asked someone to date uh, on a date or you've asked them out to dinner, but before you did, 
you needed to be at least 50, 60, 70% sure that they're going to say yes, or else their rejection would just be too terrible. (laughs) You guys like that? Or maybe that's just something I do. I think that's a wise thing to do. Before you actually ask someone out, maybe just have a conversation like, hey, do you reckon this person actually likes me? Um, so I was, I, I was going to ask this girl out. So before, or not ask her, I was going to ask her to marry me. But before I did, I wanted to make sure that it was a good chance that she was going to say yes. So I just asked this question. It wasn't sus at all. I just said, hey, do you reckon you're ready for marriage? Then I said, do you, know, do you think you know who you want to marry? You know, nothing sus about that. And I remember she looked at me and she just simply said, no, I don't think I'm ready to get married. I think I'm too young. I'll let you know next year when I'm in prep. (laughs) And when she said that, my heart sank. It's the first time that I've ever had my heart broken by a girl. Her name was Amy and it took me over 20 years to work up the confidence to ask a girl to marry me again. But the good, time is, uh, the good thing is the second time I asked, it all worked out. Thank you. Thank you, baby. But it's funny, like when we have bad experiences, when we step out in faith, um, at, if things don't work out, it can rob us of our confidence. And that can be toxic for us. It can not be good for us. And when I read about Moses, this guy who had so many questions, I remember that a page earlier, I remember that he went through a bad experience and maybe the bad experience that he went through gives a little bit of insight into why he responds in this way when asked by God to do such an incredible and significant thing. When I go back to chapter 2, this is what I read. So Moses has grown up. Um, He's about 40 years old at this stage and this is what it says. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people. So he's an Egyptian, he's a man of authority. He's going out and he's looking um, upon his people. He knows deep down that even though he, on the outside he is an Egyptian, on the inside he knows his birth mother was an Israelite. So he looks out to his people and looked on their burdens and saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he did what any sane person would do. He struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He acted on a conviction. He, 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 he saw something that he knew wasn't right and he just acted on it. And he killed a guy. Yeah. He killed a taskmaster. And then he buried him up with sand. And he was probably thinking, oh my goodness, what has just gone down? He just acted on a conviction. He acted in the moment. He saw something that was unjust and he did something about it. But it ended up in someone dying. And then what happens after that? Well, basically, a warrant, there's a warrant on his head. Pharaoh wants him dead, so he has to flee from Egypt. He, he has to run away. His whole, his whole life gets turned upside down, and he would just be feeling absolutely terrible about everything. The last time Moses stood up for what he believed in, everything went terribly. The last time he acted on a conviction, everything went south so badly that he had to flee and now he's living in this, this life, this content life for 40 years, probably thinking, oh, you know, God's never, wanna, God's never going to use me. I mean, I killed a guy. I'm a murderer. As if God's going to use me. I'm 80 years old. I'm past my time. God's never going to use me. And all of a sudden, he has this incredible encounter with God. And God actually does want to use him. Yeah. Interesting that about God, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes he just wants to use us. Good. And we don't know why. We're not quite sure why God has chosen us for this specific thing that he has for us. And I'm telling you right here, right now, if you think that God 
If you think that he doesn't have a specific purpose for you, then you are wrong. God has a purpose for you. You have a calling. It is specific. And as you draw near to God, it's going to become more obvious. So we are all called by God to do really important things. But sometimes we we think as though we need to earn it. You know, we got to earn it to, to keep it. But God just chooses us to do, God chooses us because God is God and he does what he wants. God chose Moses to do this incredible thing. Even though Moses was a murderer, even though Moses stuffed up, God still wanted to use Moses. And I'm telling you, if you're here this morning and you think you're unqualified, you think think you're not good enough to step into the things that maybe you really want to do, but you just feel like you're unqualified, I'm telling you right now, if God used Moses, who murdered a person, trust me, he can use you to do something really, really significant. So never count yourself out. Um, Never give up on yourself because God never will give up on you. So... Moses gets this incredible calling, amazing calling, amazing mission. God wants to use Moses to free his people, to free the people of Israel. And it's incredible. And he gives him a distinct calling, a a really specific mission. And he also gives Moses signs to accompany him as he goes forward. I bet when Moses went up to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, there is absolutely no way that he would have been able to have the strength to go up to the most powerful, um, possibly the most evil person in the world and say that unless he had a strong, a really, really strong sense of calling. And if he didn't, or, and if he didn't look back and remember the purpose and the signs um, that came earlier. I think if, if you were going to walk in confidence... If you're going to walk in confidence, then you need to have a strong sense of calling and you need to have a strong sense of purpose. And sometimes you need to remember back and you need to remember the signs. If you don't have a strong sense of calling, a strong sense of purpose where you are in what you are doing, then when things get tough, when things get hard, you're going to start questioning everything. But if you have a strong sense of calling from God where you are, then when things get tough, you're going to be like, oh, well, I'm I'm, I'm where God is supposed to be. So even though things are going tough... I guess I better just lean on God a little bit more. I guess I better just push through. But if you don't have a strong sense of calling and a strong sense of purpose in what you are doing, then when things get tough, when life happens, like what Ruth was talking about last week, you're going to start thinking, "Uh, maybe I'll quit. Maybe I'll give up. Maybe I'll do something a little bit easier. I'm telling you, God has a specific calling and a specific purpose for you. When you figure it out and you start walking in it, you can't help it. You're just going to start walking in confidence in what you're doing. Two years ago, I had to make one of the most toughest decisions of my life to quit my job. Did I say two years ago? It was one year ago. Um, I I needed to make this decision. And um, it wasn't just an easy decision. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, I might just quit my job. Yeah. No, no, no. I loved my job. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, It it was safe. Uh, it It was really good. But the only problem was it was good, but I don't think it was what God had for me. So even though it was a really good thing, it wasn't God's thing. Even though it was a really good thing, it wasn't as great as the other thing that God had for me. And I knew that if I just continued to stay comfortable in that job, the longer I was in it, the harder it was going to be to get out of it. The more comfortable I was going to get, it was going to, harder to, it was going to be, become harder to make that faith choice to get out. Yeah. So I, the... When the time came when I was going to hand in my letter of resi- um, resignation, um, I felt like there was a lot of attack at that time in my life. And, uh, you know, some people who, who had said, 
oh yeah, um, yeah, you're definitely called into that. Oh yeah, that's definitely a good decision. When it actually came to the crunch, all of a sudden, the people who were really clear and really certain, like, yep, 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 all of a sudden they were starting to question, like, oh, are you sure that's a good decision? Oh, are you sure about that? And in that moment, I needed to be confident in what I believe God had called me to do. I needed to be confident in it. And I also needed to look back in order to, pr- to proceed forward. I needed to, I needed to look back and remember the signs that had gone before me. And one thing that I'd forgotten that all of a sudden got, God brought back to my attention before I sent that letter of resignation was that I got a prophetic word spoken over me by a, by a prophet. Um, and basically, it was really simple. It was this time next year, you are going to be in a different job. And it's amazing how when I needed to make that faith choice, that decision, all of a sudden that memory came straight back to me and God was basically saying, hey, this may feel like a hard decision right now, but you've got to trust me. I've gone before you. I'm making a way. You've got to trust me. You can walk in confidence because you're walking in your calling right now as you make this decision. Sometimes we've got to look back in order to proceed forward. That's what Moses had to do. He needed to remember his purpose. He needed to remember the signs, um, the stick that turned into a snake, his hand that turns leprous, and God healed it. If he wasn't strong um, in his calling, if he wasn't strong in his purpose, then it was going to be really hard for him to step forward. Now, Moses lacked confidence at the start. That's pretty obvious from what we read. I mean, he, he lacked confidence at the start. But the thing about Moses was, even though on the outside... It appeared, though, it appeared like he didn't really have what it takes to do this thing for God, and he didn't really have the confidence um, that the task required. At least he wasn't carrying self-confidence. There's a good confidence and there's a bad confidence. Don't get tricked by the counterfeit confidence that is self-confidence. Like, it, it, can, it can work out good in the world, Right, to be really self-confident and to think a lot of yourself and to think that you have the strength and to think that you have the power and to think that you have everything that it takes to succeed and do great. But the thing about self-confidence is that it doesn't stand up under the test of trial. When things start to go really bad, when, when your situation, your circumstances just go crazy and it's completely out of your control, self-confidence can fluctuate. It can come and it can go. I've got to tell you, there's another type of confidence that never goes. It's supernatural, whereas self-confidence is just natural and is totally available to you. The reason that I want to tell you that you shouldn't lean into self-confidence, that the, the reason why it's not a good thing to be self-confident, and Moses wasn't, is because self-confident people put too much confidence in their flesh. And, and Paul says, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.3, He puts no confidence in his flesh. We actually should be people who put no confidence in our flesh. We are body, we are soul, we are spirit. Our body, our flesh nature is weak. Why do you think Jesus had to come and die for us? Because the old old covenant commitment between man and God that required us to do good and and just get everything right in order to earn our salvation, we couldn't live up to it. Why? Because our flesh is weak. We can want to do good. In our own strength, we can really, really want to do good in our own strength and we can really push towards it and try our very, very hardest in our own strength. Yes, I can do this. I have what it takes. But we always fall short. Why? Because our flesh is weak. We need a power that comes from heaven. 
We do need that. Paul says, don't put any confidence in your flesh. People who are self-confident are people who put too much um, confidence in their flesh. And the thing is, when you put a lot of confidence in your flesh, it's easy to stumble. It's easy to fall. People who put a lot of confidence in their flesh hang around temptations too much. Man, they hang around to temptations too much. Joseph, a guy who lived before Moses, this guy called Joseph, he, um, he, he has an incredible story, an amazing story. I'm just going to tell you a part of it. At one point in his journey, he is serving under this guy called Potiphar, and Potiphar has a wife. In the Bible, she's called Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife has the hots for Joseph. So Joseph, he's a good-looking fella. He's a really good-looking fella. He's probably got amazing hair and everything. Um, probably got a rocking body. She's got the hots for him, right? So <laughs> some people are laughing. Some people are like, that's weird. Anyway, um, Potiphar's wife has a thing for Joseph. And one day she's like, I just got to have him. So she goes after him. And she, I could just imagine her just clinging at him. Love me, Joseph. And Joseph is just like, oh, my goodness. What does Joseph do? Does he hang around? He gets out of there. Like he runs, he runs from the hills. And why would he run away like that? Why would he get out of there? Maybe it's because he understands that his flesh is actually weak. People who understand that their flesh is weak don't hang around the temptation. Man, if you understand your flesh is weak, you're not going to be up late watching I-18, MA-15 plus movies with extreme nudity in them. You know what I'm talking about? It's serious, like seriously. If you know that your flesh is weak, then you're probably not going to be hanging around nightclubs all the time if you've had a problem with drinking in the past. People who have no confidence in their flesh are people who avoid temptations, and that's smart. Moses was someone who put no confidence in his flesh. He was a smart guy, and God can use this. I mean, Moses said in chapter 10, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Moses is well aware of the issues with himself. He's well aware of them. Now, what Moses failed to realize at the start is even though he didn't have what it took to complete this amazing mission that God had for him, it wasn't going to be in his own strength that it was going to get done. He was going to have to rely on a supernatural strength that can only come from God. Now, some people are really confident in themselves, and that brings reassurance. Some people have some confidence because they believe in a a far-off God who's looking down on them, and that can cause them to kind of feel safe. But the supernatural confidence that is available to you right now doesn't come from believing in yourself. It doesn't come from believing in a far-off Jesus. It comes from believing in Jesus in you. When you get revelation that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is alive within you, that will give you a supernatural type of confidence that will hold up in any season, under any pressures, under any circumstances, under any situation. But you just got to understand that, hey, God is alive in you. One of my favorite movies is The Lion King. Who loves The Lion King? If you don't love The Lion King, I I don't know what to say. Let's just move forward. There's a problem there, definitely. But The Lion King is amazing. I love that movie. It's so good. Live action is coming out this week, people. I think Thursday. So I'm very excited for that. Although Scar is not 
he doesn't have dark fur, which is really weird, and that's troubling me. But anyway, I'm excited. I'm excited. So the Lion King. I love the Lion King. My favorite scene in the Lion King is the scene with Simba and Rafiki. And I love Rafiki. He's an awesome monkey. And um, one thing you've got to understand about Simba is when he was younger, he had so much confidence. Man, Simba, he would go places that he had no right being in. He would pick fights with people that he had no right picking fights with. Why? Because he knew who he was. And he knew who his father was. And he knew that he was an heir to the throne. He knew what he was carrying inside of him. So even though he was little and even though he was weak, he was bold and he was confident. Now, something went down. Something happened to him that was out of his control in a lot of ways. Tragedy struck. And there was an enemy in his life. That enemy was Scar. And Scar pulled his strings and he did his thing and it ended up in his father Mufasa dying and the scene is a massive tearjerker. And it causes Simba to blame himself and he ends up running away into exile because of it. He blamed himself. He blamed himself for something that really at the end of the day, it wasn't really his fault. I hope that you're not here today carrying shame and guilt for stuff in your past thinking that 100% of it, all of it was your fault. We are responsible for our choices, but there's also an enemy of your soul who's trying to take you out and take you down. Now, the way that you let him win is by giving up and carrying that shame and carrying that guilt when you can get rid of it because Jesus came and he died for you and that allows you to take it to him and leave it at the foot of the cross and move forward. Don't carry the shame and the guilt any longer. Give it to Jesus. You don't have to carry it. But Simba, he he carried it and he grew up in exile And that shame, that guilt that he carried, it it, it robbed him of his confidence. It was toxic for him. And he grew up and he became a mature lion. Um, He made a couple of great new friends. You probably know who they are. Timon and Pumbaa. Um, And, you know, his, his, his motto for life was no worries, you know. You know, no worries. Akuna Matata. No worries. Nothing matters. Nothing's important. That just sounds like a person who has a lot of scarring in their past, yeah. And he he forgot who he was until he had this amazing encounter with Rafiki. Now Rafiki asked Simba, hey, who are you? And Simba says, I'm I'm Simba. And he says, oh, you're Simba, you're Mufasa's boy. And Simba was like, "Uh, yeah, but you'd be saddened to know that Mufasa's dead. My dad is dead. And Rafiki looks at Simba and he says, what? He's not dead. He's alive. Follow me. I'll show you the way. So Rafiki runs off into the, into the forest, into the bush, and Simba's running after him. Simba's going after him. And all of a sudden, they come to this opening, and it's picturesque. There's a beautiful lake there. Um, there's a fog that's hovering over the water. And Rafiki goes up to it, and he just pushes the reeds aside, and he calls Simba over. He's like, come. And Simba walks up to the lake, and he looks over, and he looks into the water. And all he sees when he looks into the water is his own reflection. And man, he hates the look of his face in the reflection. Because what he sees when he looks into the water, when he sees his own face, he sees the mistakes. He sees all of the issues in himself. And he just, he sees someone who lacks confidence, who lacks calling. He sees nothing. 
But Rafiki says, no, 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 look harder. And he taps the water and ripples go through the water. And he says, look harder. And, and Simba looks into the water and all of a sudden out of the ripples emerges the face of the king, emerges the face of Mufasa. And all of a sudden, a truth that was stolen from him, he gets back. He receives the revelation again. He remembers that his father is not dead. His father is alive within him. He has a calling. He has a purpose. He is an heir to the throne. He has royal blood running through his veins. He has a mission. He is the heir to the kingdom. And there is a kingdom which has been overtaken by darkness that he needs to go and claim back. What do you see when you look in the mirror? When you look in the mirror, what do you see? When you look in the mirror, if you just see yourself and that is all you see, then maybe that's why you lack confidence. You need to understand that your father is God. You have a heavenly father. You are not just a believer in God. You are not just a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus. You are an heir with Christ. That is what the Bible says. You are an heir to the throne. You are a child of God. You are God's kid. And when you start to understand that that royal blood flows through your veins, when you start to understand the great calling, the great call on your life, who you are in God, then you carry a confidence that is supernatural and out of this world. Self-confidence can shake, it can fall, it can rot away. But I tell you right now that when you understand that you are an heir with Christ, when you understand that your body, it says in the Bible, is literally a temple for the Holy Spirit. And you carry God everywhere you go. I tell you what, you are going to have a confidence that can never be shaken. Why don't you stand? Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.